it's all remembering. So you're visually remembering. If it's neutral towards the side, you're auditory. So you're remembering what somebody, what you heard. And if it's down, it's you're remembering what you felt. On the opposite side, it's the creative side. So the left side, if your eyes go up towards the left, you're creating a visual. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. If my voice is seeming a little shot to you, it is because we just got back from KetoCon 2023. What an event. Robin Switzer does it again. It was uh, the biggest health event I have been to so far. Now, I did not really go to any prior to 2020, so keep that in mind. But, I mean, man, she's killing it, and she's bringing numbers back to these things in a time that it is so hard to do. So huge props to Robin, everyone involved. Great job running an awesome event. Uh, the next event I will be at is the Cellcore one in the kind of middle or end of May in Boise, Idaho. So never thought I'd be getting sent to Boise for a conference, but I'll take it, man. That sounds good. I, I don't have any extra time, but I would love to do some hiking, but I'd also want my girlfriend with me and stuff. She's from Spokane, Washington, and she has done way more serious hiking than me so she'd probably be a great person to have for <laughs> some of those hikes that could be going on in idaho i really want to hit bora peak it's the highest point in idaho oh man I, I just not this time but we will get them next time anyway enough about that hey if you're considering becoming an fdn and you're listening today to learn skills that you can apply with your coaching clients and maybe you're not an fdn yet you can actually book a call directly with me now so you can hit me up at fdntraining.com slash call. That is fdntraining.com slash call. And you can talk to yours truly. And just in case you somehow don't already get enough of me on a weekly basis with this dang podcast, now you can book a call directly and talk about the course. <laughs> what we do uh, have to talk about today, though, is our friend Gabriella Cuto is back. Last time she was talking about fluoride and the dangers associated with it. Now we're talking about NLP. This is kind of the area of expertise that she has moved into. She does a lot of business and mindset coaching now. And this is an interesting one. I love getting to talk about anything personality related. I'm, I'm still waiting for a Myers-Briggs expert to hop on with me, but for today, we will have to settle for just NLP, and it is a pretty darn good episode. I hope you guys find some use for this, uh, from this that you can actually apply to your clients and your sessions to make them more effective. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Hello, Gabriella, and welcome back to the Health Detective Podcast. How I'm are you? I'm doing well. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. We were both, uh, we're both cheesing right now. <laughs> It's completely like deep 20 minute philosophical conversation before we got on. And so not that this conversation won't be awesome, uh, but it's 
it's undeniable that we're having to come down a few notches to get back to uh, this podcast today, but still going to be very cool. I think it's going to be a fun and a unique way because Gabriella was on before. You guys might remember her if you've been listening for a while. It's it's crazy that that's been almost probably a year at this point. And she uh, used to work as a dental hygienist and got very interested in fluoride and what it was doing. And what's interesting about you, which actually applies to our conversation even off air, is you don't really you don't strike me as someone who like goes into researching anything with a, a strong opinion. And I admit like I do that. So it's, it's challenging for me sometimes you'll more go and say, okay, I'm curious about this. Like, let's, let's see where the data leads or where the perspectives lead. And your podcast with the fluoride thing, you never came across as some like, uh, too far functional person where they're like, oh, it's the most evil thing in the world. And you know, they used it in the Nazi concentration camps, which is actually kind of true, but I'm already thinking it's bad and then I'm doing the research and now I'm doing it with a bias. You literally just had this curiosity and said, okay, I'm going to go figure this out. And you were shocked by what you found and then how your professors even reacted when you presented them this information that you were presenting somewhat neutrally. And so what's cool is we, we talked about that there. I'll put this in the show notes. So please check that out. And you know what? We just got a review recently where the person was very kind and said, can you please actually remember to link these episodes that you mentioned? So um, I made a little note to myself so that will actually be in this one today. So check out our episode there. But Gabriella now, and we, we alluded to this last time, does, I don't even know if we can call it business coaching in the traditional sense. It's not like you're helping someone uh, lay out a spreadsheet or a marketing plan, although certainly the work could lead to someone executing on those things. Um, You do something much deeper, and we're going to talk about NLP today and other stuff. But just to be clear for the audience before we get into it, how do you currently define what you offer people? Hmm, that's a great question. And I think it really depends on who the person is to, it's kind of funny, bringing the NLP into the conversation because it depends how you perceive things and how I can best relay that information to you. So there's two ways that I kind of go about it. I either say that I'm a consciousness coach in the sense that I bring the hidden conversations from your subconscious mind and merge that with your conscious mind and bring that into awareness so that you can start to realize what you are focusing on and creating that reality or how you function and connect with other people. Um, or also talking, I, I say like a mental masseuse in the sense for people who are more in the emotional and energetics aspects of it. Um, it's kind of massaging the mental, emotional and spiritual bodies. And I relay or I say masseuse because everybody has, most people go to a massage or has gotten a massage before. And they know that there are knots in their body that are limiting their range of motion or how they actually function and feel in their body. And so if you can massage the mental and emotional and spiritual body, it's removing those knots so you can actually think clearer and have a deeper connection with yourself and with other people. Awesome. I love the mental masseuse thing. That's like every now and then someone comes up with a tagline that just sticks in your head and now I'm not going to be able to forget <laughs> that. So that's good. That's good branding. Um, with the NLP thing, how we're going to connect this for you guys today listening is it's kind of twofold. One, we're going to talk about some stuff that you can immediately apply to your own business and working with clients. And then perhaps something actually might resonate with you today where uh, you would like to work with Gabriella. So that could be also something to do there. Now, what's cool is uh, Gabriella and another good friend of ours at, at one point were kind of working together um, in, in kind of separate categories, but they offered something together. And so I worked with them. And what was interesting, and to be fair to you, I never even really connected this until a few months ago. So I never even gave you guys enough credit for this. The work that you guys had done, I had a very specific income goal at that time, as you remember. 
And what happened is in the next two months, I mean, I hit that and I've been able to mostly maintain it. I'm in fact, far exceeding it some months. And so what's funny is the other person that we worked with, she helped me in a different way over the long term. But at that time, there was nothing really that I had done with her that led to that at all. So it's like, there's really only one thing that I did. Um, and it was the direct work I was, I was doing with you, which, you know, to me as, as deep as I am into this, um, some of it initially seems like far out, but then you feel like kind of a lightness and you can see how it's working in your life. And, um, it's hard to deny that it didn't do what I wanted it to do because I had been working on that goal for over a year. And then within a matter of two months, um, it happened and maintained. And so when something maintains, especially that to me is a true shift in consciousness. That means like, all right, cool. We have put ourselves now on this plateau and then there's a next one and the next one and, and you can keep going further. So with NLP specifically, that's probably the most applicable thing that people can take today. Maybe not even having heard of a uh, heard of it and apply it to their clients. So um, just to be clear, what does NLP stand for and what's your background in it? Cause it's kind of extensive. Yeah. Uh, I first just want to say that's amazing. Congratulations. And just to hear that transition or that evolution for you. um, So profound. So thank you for sharing. Um, Thanks. So NLP is neuro linguistic programming, and it's basically the linguistics or the language of the mind. It's being able to understand how you function and how your brain communicates with other people. And when you can have a better understanding, essentially labels to what communication is, then you can understand how other people communicate and you start to pick up on their language patterns and you can have deeper connections with people because you also understand yourself more. So, um, yeah. Cool. And, and then in terms of your training with it, um, when did you start becoming interested in that? Because you've been talking about this as honestly, as long as I've known you, I feel like. Yeah. So it was actually kind of funny how it presented itself into my life. Um, I was again, dental hygiene before, and, um, I went to an acupuncturist and I saw this book on water and I was so fascinated with it. So I read it. And the same day that I actually finished it and the book talks about NLP, my sister comes in the room and she's like, Hey, this, um, this team is coming in to teach NLP. Do you want to take it with me? I was like, are you freaking kidding me right now? Like, what? Like, who even hears of NLP? So um, I was like, if I can get the time off of work, then yeah, I'm so down. I got time off so easily. Like, it, it just flowed so well. And so um, I really did it for me, for me to kind of understand myself a little bit more. And then I was so infatuated with it because I I have struggled a lot with communication growing up and feeling a lot of like, being misunderstood. And that's also created a lot of other, um, anxiety for me and social anxiety essentially. And so being able to tap into that and learn for yourself, I realized how this can also help and serve other people. And it's essentially put in responsibility on your end in the sense of like, okay, there, it takes two to tango. And so where's my responsibility? And when you can take responsibility with your actions, your patterns, your responses, or reactions in general, then you have the awareness and the control to make that switch and that change so that you can actually create that life that you want. And kind of like our conversation earlier, like it's, it's not easy. It's not the most pleasant. Like I had to have a confrontational conversation with somebody today, actually. And confrontation has always been something really hard for me and being able to overcome that that's when you start to grow. That's when you can actually learn and apply all of these lessons. And I think the most important thing is understanding that, yes, you can learn, you can read everything, but once you actually take the action and apply that into your life, that's when you actually have that true knowledge and that true power. 
Nice. I never knew the part about, you know, for whatever it's worth, you never struck me this way. So this is cool. I never knew the part about struggling with uh, communication and stuff. And I find that interesting because that's, it's not necessarily equatable to NLP, but NLP is, it's a system, right? And it's, it's a, in a sense, a way to type people and figure out maybe how they're communicating. Like, I mean, that's obviously basically what it is. And then you're able to adjust accordingly for that individual. And that's the same reason I got into the Myers-Briggs thing. I knew I'm like, well, I'm a decent person, I feel like. And yet I'm having these communications with people and it's coming across completely wrong. And at, at some point we have to look at ourselves and say, all right, if I'm the one that's consistently having these problems, like seriously, at one point in my life, it was probably like eight out of 10 times I'm having communications with people and it's not going the way that I want it to go. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm inherently flawed. It doesn't mean that you're inherently flawed, but I'm probably the one that has the most opportunity for work here. If I'm the one that's having the problems consistently with such a variety of people. And so that's why I studied that because now I've learned how to appropriately say something to certain people. And guys, this is not to be mistaken. Cause I think this is, I, I hear this five to 10% of the time where people mistakenly believe that this is somehow uh, an attempt at manipulation or, or something like that. That That's not the case at all. Um, if you used it that way, that would be the case. But I don't use Myers-Briggs that way. Like I know Gabriella's type. I know my best friend's type. I know my girlfriend's type. I, I do this to display information in a way that they will be receptive to. So if my idea is like, hey, we should go do this on Friday night, I'm not changing the idea or hiding it. I'm just presenting it to them in the way that might be uh, most receptive to them and that they can understand so that we can at least make a decision about the idea. With NLP, the thing that I've heard before is visual, kinesthetic, and auditory. So I know that's probably loaded, but can we can we break that down and what that actually means? Yeah. So I, I first just want to touch up on the first part sure. that you mentioned, because I think that's really good. And it's a really good way to conceptualize what NLP is. And kind of like what you were saying, the Myers-Briggs, it's you understanding the other person. And that's essentially what NLP is. It's understanding how that person communicates now. So it's putting essential a, a label to them, but it's also realizing it's, it's just the label and um, labels essentially creates boundaries, but also how can you expand those boundaries or like not, yes, I'm an INFJ, but I'm so much more than an INFJ. You know, it's not holding me to that. And even with the term manipulation, yes, people can say it is manipulation. One, it depends your definition of manipulation, and that's where NLP comes into play. It's really understanding your definition of what these terms are. Manipulation, it's your internal representation, your connotation. Is this a good connotation, manipulation, or a bad? Mm -hmm. It's the same word as influence. You know, you can influence somebody in terms when if you influence you're manipulating them and so it's just realizing oh i have a negative ir where did that come from when like when did i start to define that manipulation is something bad and you can also manipulate somebody into something positive so to answer your other question of vak uh -huh. the visual auditory kinesthetic um everybody going back to the myers-briggs everybody learns differently so um People can visualize things or they really have a good memory because they can see it in their mind's eye. There are some people who they hear and listening to podcasts is something that is easier for them to obtain that information versus somebody who can see it through pictures or through a movie. Um, and then there's the feelers, people who um, are better at learning by experience. It's... Um, they have to go through that experience to actually learn the con the, the connotation. And so when you can understand mm -hmm. how somebody operates and it's even using your words, oh, I see what you're saying, or 
oh, that resonates with me. Resonating is somebody who is good with auditory versus visual person. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. It's starting to pick up on those little key words and that's where you start to understand how they communicate. Okay, cool. So is this something that, I don't know if it's this simple, but like, are you able to, like, is there types with this? Would you say someone's like uh, this type primary and then secondary tertiary, or can everyone be a little bit of all that stuff on a different day? That, that part I'm not familiar with. Yeah, I think it's all relative. It's kind of like, so another aspect of NLP is understanding what your values are. And so you have different categories such as relationships, career, personal development, and you have different values for each. And it's being able to understand like, oh, maybe when it comes to, I don't know why I'm blanking out on an, uh, on an example with this, but like if business, yeah, if you're learning through business, maybe you actually have to see somebody do it first and then do it yourself first versus there are some people that they need somebody to guide them through the experience first, or maybe they just learn instantly just by seeing it and they, they get it. So I think everything is pretty relative. Um, the other important thing to understand, because when you can understand communication and how somebody listens, Another concept is, are you an inferential learner or listener um, or talker, or are you literal? And so you can have one of each. So I'm a very inferential person when I speak, but I'm very literal when you speak to me. So you have to be extremely specific with what you mean, because if not, I, I take that literally. So you can say... Mm -hmm. oh, uh, examples. I feel like this is me. This part's definitely me. I've always been like, um, I and it is tough. Like you can know what it means, but then it's hard to think of examples. <laughs> so I hear you on this. But I always remember, like, uh, when I worked in my parents' restaurant when I was a kid, I would sometimes, like, at seventeen, like drive over to get certain things, and I constantly had this issue where they wanted me to get certain stuff, but they never said it directly. I don't. So I don't. It might have been like get the stuff for the back office, right? And so I go to the back office real quick and I see like this is empty versus like maybe something was low. And they're like, well, I wanted you to get everything that was low. I'm like, how about you give me a list of things to get and I will happily get it with a smile on my face. Like I needed to know the specific items in the quantities that we are getting them at the price that we will buy them. And then I will go, I will go do that. So um, I don't know if that helps spark your example at all, but I feel like everyone's always told me I'm very literal and I just, I resonated with that word when you said it. For yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, yeah, inferential is like reading between the lines. Like the example that they give um, an NLP, I guess it's the best example that I can really give is like, if you're hanging out with a friend and they say, oh, like I'm thirsty, an inferential person will read through the lines and they will get that glass of water versus a literal listener would just be like, okay, like you're thirsty. Cool. Like that's it. <laughs> what do you want to yeah. do about it? Um and so it's also realizing how do you speak? Are you a very literal person to somebody who's inferential where they will read in between too much in the lines when you're already literal or um, are they literal? And I think that's so important to understand within business dynamics or in real estate or anybody that you kind of communicate and have a big or bigger purpose with um, is understanding how they communicate. Gotcha. Not to put you too much on the spot then here, but then obviously we've worked together and we know each other well enough. Do you, and if, if it's that circumstantial that it can be different between business and interpersonal relationships and intimate relationships or whatever, fair enough. Um, but do you recall, or do you know offhand, like 
when you were working with me, obviously you're picking these things up then. So did you have like these, was I getting typed by you with these letters? Like, did you know which styles I communicated with or received better? Um, to be honest, no, not necessarily. Um, to, to really putting me on the spot. Sometimes I think it's also an intuitive <laughs> thing is like, I can, um, a big thing is report or to see um, shifts within the person's response. So um, if, if there's a shift in their voice or their breathing pattern or a, a result on their face, um, it's being able to tap into that aspect and seeing, okay, there's a shift. Are they understanding me or not? And again, you can have a shift and that could be you understanding some something, but somebody else could blink, say it's blinking faster. And to you, that's processing it, but somebody else, it could be like, I'm so confused. So it's just kind of understanding that person and essentially you're building that rapport with them. So it does kind of take time to understand what their shifts okay. are. And I think just because I do know, or I had known you before then that I was able to understand those shifts. Um, but these are just okay. like different um, categories or different ways that you can have a better communication with somebody. Fascinating. All right. So when then with clients, obviously this can go pretty deep and I don't expect anyone today to have this, this master that would be ridiculous, but I know for myself, and this is something I do naturally now, I can't help it. I, for better or for worse, am so obsessed with the Myers-Briggs thing and it's just, it won't leave. It just stays for all these years. When I am talking to someone, I am not even thinking about this anymore. I do this with every person that I meet. I'm automatically doing like my system in my head to try to type this individual. And I think in a way that is not particularly visual, it's not blank, but it's not particularly visual. So I've always been very good at like memorizing letters and numbers. That's where like I excel. I can be like, we can drive on the road and pass a phone number for half a second. I can be like, all right, here's the phone number, but I can't remember even like the eye color of someone that I, maybe I talked to for 20 minutes, like that would be very challenging for me to do. And my point in mentioning that is I'll have these like memories sometimes. And Maddie, I don't, I don't know if she likes this, but <laughs> she's an INTP and my best friend's an INTP. So go figure, right. I have these two very close people that meet the same type. And there's times where I think I said something to her or I'll be talking to him. And I think I said something to him and they're like, you didn't talk to me about that. Now, the memory in my head, I realize, is not Maddie or Brian. It's INTP. I'm literally Ooh. picturing the letters. And that's where I'm like, oh, no, I said this to the INTP. And they're like, not this one. You know, maybe the other one in your life, but not not this one. So I think it's kind of funny how, I mean, I'm, it's so systematized in my head that that's how I'm doing this. And I've been doing it for a while, though. So I can do that pretty quickly. It's not accurate 100% of the time, but I can get a good feel for people. It certainly helps to have better rapport with them and work with them for a while. But the advantage to our practitioners is they do work with their clients for a while. So is there something that, let's say um, I am a practitioner, and maybe I'm lucky enough to have like two 45-minute interactions with a client, and we're getting pretty deep. They're talking about maybe their worst health issues, their struggles. Clients get pretty open with us. Um, Is there some basic stuff that I can start looking out for um, that you could teach us maybe a, from an NLP perspective that might help us at least get into this, the VAK thing, like maybe some things to listen out for or watch out for. I'm trying to hit on all of them right now yeah. uh, to uh, to see where this person's at and what they what type they might be. So I think that it's it is cool to have the ability to have these concepts and even to like categorize somebody as an INTP versus an INFJ. Mm -hmm. 
does that also put somebody in a box and limit them from other possibilities that they could step into and listening. So with these techniques, I think it is important to, to learn, but not given it, not putting it on a pedestal. Like this is all or, or nothing kind of thing. Sure. Um, so I think kind of like the best thing would just be like, well, what is their language pattern in the sense of I feel, or I, I keep seeing it's, having those terms within, and I can also send you this too. Um, there's like Thank different you. words and terms that you can use, um, or that s certain people use if you are a feeler, like, Oh, I feel this way. I'm trying to think of an another, um, I don't, I don't focus too much on this aspect, but I think it is a cool concept for people to learn. Um, and just picking up on those, on those terminologies, um, and the rapport building. So do you notice a shift in their face when they understand something and ask them, Oh, I notice a shift in you. What did that mean? Like kind of just asking them what, what is really going on in their mind to really understand what their shifts are, because then you will pick up on those patterns of that person individually versus these categories of, Oh, you are VAK. Um, but I think for the most part, a lot of people actually know the way that they learn and the way that they, so like, um, I'm a, a very visual learner and a feeler. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, I'm, I'm a visual. So asking a person like, how do you typically learn? Like, are you better at visualizing? Are you better at listening or are you more with experience? And then having that answer, I think it's just converting your language pattern to fit what they respond to. Okay. So it can be pretty simple. Honestly, it's just asking questions and taking the time to do that investigative work. So, okay, I'll, I'll use myself as the test dummy here. And I've done this. Someone came on that uh, does Enneagram, oh, yeah. right? And we had like this whole psycho analyzing session. It was kind of hilarious. I won't put you through that, but that was, that was pretty funny. Like we went through this whole thing. So for myself, with what I already brought up, like if I read a book, that is the easiest way for me to retain something. When I see only words and numbers and I, I get to see the words and numbers, it's I can be sometimes perfect retention. That's always been a nice thing. The secondary thing I would use is like podcasts I can do pretty well with. And if even if I hear a stat, I can kind of like, let's say it said 20% of people that do this, get this result. I, I remember it, but even that I almost have to put it through like my mind first. It, it literally feels like my mind is like this blank slate sometimes that I, it's almost, uh, you know, a computer programmer, mm -hmm. like how they would type on like a black screen. That's what it feels mm -hmm. like. So I could even in conversation, it's hard for me to do this and focus 100% admittedly, but if someone talks at an average pace and not mine, which is like 2x always constantly without caffeine, I can almost take the words that they're saying if I wanted to and play it as if it was like a typewriter across my mind. So if you said the whole VAK thing again, I'd be like, okay, VAK, like I'm seeing those letters. So it almost seems to be that order for me where it's like, there's this visual aspect. If I see it, very helpful. Then auditory is good, but I might start messing up the percentages a little bit because it wasn't a perfect translation from my ears to this syntax in my mind. Um, and then I think the last one by far for me is the kinesthetic. So, well, one, do you think this is accurate based on what I said? Would it, would it be... I guess that's, what is that VAK then in order by coincidence? Yeah. And again, everybody has a different sequence. It's, um, the good, a good analogy is like, how do you buy something? How do you like, is it because it looks really pretty? Is it because the sound of it, or you can hear other people complimenting you on it? Or does it, um, 
does it feel good? Like, is it the material? Is it, um, yeah, it, it's seeing like, how do you make those decisions based on what you're going to buy? And then seeing like, yeah. is it from an ex- external validation or does it make you feel good? Um, the other concept that I actually wanted to bring up is eye patterns. And um, for me, when I was studying in school, I would always look up and I never understood this, but I actually had a friend call me out. She's like, you always look up at the ceiling whenever like you're trying to remember something or you're studying. <laughs> and for me, it it's so, it, it's literally VAK. So if people are looking up um, to the left is, oh, I, I always get this confused because it's flipped based on who you're looking at. Um the okay. right side is remembrance. So if you are, if I'm looking at you and it's on my right side, so your left, um, it, this is what I'm saying. It gets confusing. It's all remembering. So you're visually remembering. If it's neutral towards the side, you're auditory. So you're remembering what somebody, what you heard. And if it's down, it's, you're remembering what you felt on the opposite side. It's the creative side. So the left side, if your eyes go up towards the left, you're creating a visual. You're like, think of a blue tree. Then you're going to think of a blue tree. Typically your eyes to the left. Um, and then uh, auditory is towards the middle. And then you're constructing the feeling if it's looking down. The only thing important to know is that if people have gone through a lot of trauma, then that can also be flipped. So it's also understanding your client and if they are, or if they have experienced that trauma, then it it might be flipped. Okay. What's interesting about this is I feel like the whole eye thing is something that, I mean, even five, six years ago, you see on like Facebook almost as a, not a meme, but it's like a little guide where it's like how to tell if someone's lying and then they have this eye chart. So I know it's probably, well, it's definitely not that simple, but it, it, was this a concept that came from NLP originally then? Oh, cool. Um, I, or probably, yeah. maybe. <laughs> Psych- psychological wise, I think so. I mean, NLP is in 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 the sense of, in the psychological range or concept. Um Mm-hmm. To say if that was the origin of it, I I don't know about that. Okay, no worries. I'm sure it's older than Facebook, so we can at least say NLP had it before <laughs> uh, Facebook yeah. ever had it. But I'm already seeing then why that would like a meme like that because I'm, I'm pretty sure the vast majority of people on the podcast would have heard that part as like, oh, you can tell if someone's lying. But one thing that you already said that I feel like would be totally misleading about memes like that then because it's just overly simplistic is all right well i'm not seeing actual objects i see text and numbers a lot better but i i can create an image it's just very crappy and grainy it's almost like it's almost like how you well then again maybe everyone doesn't see it like this how i see my dreams and i recall dreams it's almost like very faded it's not like i'm there i don't know how to describe it it's nowhere near as present as you and i are right now when i'm looking at you and so maybe everyone doesn't see their dreams like that, but that's the only comparison I would have used is dreams. But my point is, if you said that blue tree example, for uh, for example, you could have said, well, Evan, did you see the blue tree on your walk the other day? I would be creating that image, trying to figure out like, oh, did I see that blue tree? And then the Facebook meme would say, oh, well, he's lying because he's creating that image. It's like, well, no, I couldn't see it to begin with. So that's why I have to like reconstruct this thing in my head. So um, 
is that is that really a good way to tell if someone's like lying or not? Like, is that especially considering how controversial that can get? Should you be banking on lies based on eye pattern, or should you use it more for this reason to help people? I would say use it. I'm I'm always for helping people. Um, they didn't really say anything about lies. Uh, that's more psychology um, yeah. versus NLP, <laughs> the language pattern. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's it's cool to understand the subconscious mind and the reticular activating system because now, again, it's bringing that awareness. Oh, I wasn't aware of that blue tree. So the next time I'm going to go for a walk, I'm going to notice that blue tree and um, mm-hmm. put in that into perspective. But even kind of like you said, how your dream was a little bit faded. Everybody has their own way of thinking and creating these images and it's not to say what's right or wrong. It's just different. And um, I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest lesson that I've learned with NLP is not concluding to something being right or wrong. It's just, it is what it is. And it's just different. It's observing okay. that difference versus having an expectation. Because once you start to have that expectation, then that leads to more disappointment, so to say. Got it. All right. So I'm your client. Let's say you're one of our functional practitioners, right? And now you hear what I just said, which was basically, and and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know that visual is probably normally a little more expansive. Like maybe people like see actual, like uh, Maddie, my girlfriend, she has these vivid dreams and has a crazy imagination where she can clearly see the actual scenery of what's going on where I just, I don't have that. Um, Is it fair to say though, if, if I'm reading a book and physically seeing it and that's how I retain it well, I mean, that's, like her and I could both be visual, even though the visions might be different, mm-hmm. right? Or oh, no? yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Everybody just has, again, perceives it in their own way. So. Okay. So, all right. So then assuming that I'm a visual person and I'm your client and you're a functional health practitioner, how then can I support someone through some of these protocols that we're doing? Like what, one of the issues that we have maybe sometimes is the person being compliant to what we're recommending. Like, let's say, hey, well, we noticed on the labs that you have this, this, and this thing um, that you're sensitive to. It'd be great if you could remove this for a little bit. And the person's having trouble complying with that. What might be useful for someone like me who's uh, supposed visual person in like raising compliance? I feel like this could be really useful for yeah, our practice. No, that's a great question. Um, I, I think what I, what, what I would say is kind of giving them the visual of why it's important. And mm-hmm. so to say like having your symptoms, um, what are the symptoms of, what would the symptoms continue to happen if you didn't comply with it? And what would the results mm-hmm. be if you did comply with it? And so that they can start to okay. visualize that and say like, imagine, like imagine if you continued. So the imagine term word is that visual aspect. Um, and so it's using that term like, okay, imagine yourself and putting that person into that perspective or that reality using their imagination, what it could and couldn't look like. And then for them to have that understanding, like, why are you doing this? Like you came for a reason, let's, mm-hmm. let's comply. And then, yeah, I'll leave that. Okay. I feel like, yeah, I'm starting to pick this up. And again, it's it's surface level understanding right now. But then I'm thinking, okay, for the kinesthetic person. So that's someone who who feels. And going to my example, I'm I'm always fine with talking about the stuff I dealt with. Like it was the cystic acne was one of the main things that always bothered me. So unfortunately, that's an easy thing to imagine. With me, you would just be like, well, imagine what it looks like to 
to have that. Now I can picture that just fine. Right. And then of course that triggers all these feelings and stuff and I don't want that. So, okay. It makes sense that that would get me going for the kinesthetic person. I'm almost thinking in, especially in terms of chronic disease, this would be something along the lines of then asking them to think about how they, they feel when they're dealing with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And they're like, Oh, I'm tired. I can't, uh, uh, you know, help my kids. So it makes me feel sad. So that would be how you'd kind of communicate with that person then to solidify the protocol. Mm -hmm. a little more. Yeah, it, exactly. Just like that. It's putting that into the perspective of how they're going to feel and how would it feel to not have that cystic acne. So then <laughs> they can start to understand or, it's creating that feeling, even though it doesn't necessarily exist, it's still creating that feeling of potential potentiality of like, Oh, this is how mm -hmm. I could feel. This is my goal. This is what I want to feel like. And then just encouraging them that you can feel this way following the protocol. Um, we've seen mm -hmm. it done it before. And the science is showing that this is the steps to, to get to that feeling. So it's kind of like setting a goal, knowing what that was going to feel, look, sound like I, i'm trying yeah. to think of like what would it sound like or maybe pe or for people who are more auditory it's mean like can you hear what the thoughts that you would have in your head like how you would talk to yourself differently or what other people would say or compliment <laughs> you yes that's what i was thinking. like <laughs> wow you 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 your skin looks brighter like what, what have you done mm-hmm this is okay. I'm like literally seeing this now in, well, that's ironic, <laughs> but that wasn't a pun. Uh, okay. That's actually very funny <laughs> because I'm literally saying this. I'm giving you um, my type basically, if we'll call it that while we're speaking, but if in theory, at least for this um, VAK in that order, in terms of what I should prioritize, I'm already thinking about what motivated me to do this. I and I don't I don't think anyone walks into the mirror with cystic acne and feels particularly great. Like I get that, but for me it was that personal thing first. Before anything else, like I just wanted to look in the mirror and see, okay, I this this is good. This this looks okay. But then the secondary thing is, yeah, you're right. I actually I enjoyed when people said your skin looks so good now. Or I tell people I had this and they're like, "Wow, I can never picture that. That feels good too." But then even the feelings of like but you could argue, all right, well, you'll feel so much more confident when you have this and you'll feel powerful in, in interactions because you're not worried about that. And that is true. It didn't not happen, but that's just, I can e even feel my motivations and what they actually were. And now that I'm connecting this to that, it's like, no, my motivations were clearly in that order of the visual compliments in the sense being the auditory. And then the feelings afterwards were actually just a byproduct of the other stuff. But ironically, that wasn't the main thing. And then yet, if you talk to a lot of people, they'll speak from their communication language. And I feel like so many people said to me, oh, well, think about how confident you're going to feel. I'm like, yeah, that's great. That that didn't get me going. It was like, I just wanted to look in the mirror and see that and think, okay, this is good. This looks yeah. normal. So huh. I, I, my mind goes to two different um, ways that you can actually start Im implementing this is like if there's a survey or, or a form to fill out prior where you're like just asking them questions, like a medical history, so to say, you can even add that. Like, are you visual, auditory, or kinesthetic? And, or like, what are your goals? What is it that you want to feel, look? And you can even have all options. What do you want to feel like? What do you want to, um, what do you want people to say? Or what are the thoughts that you want to start saying to yourself? And what are, what do you want to, did I say feel or see? Look. Feel. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm getting way too caught up in it. Um, but basically, just saying like, okay, 
cover all VAKs because essentially to learn the best, it's tapping up, tapping on every single category, VAK, and asking them. And I think if you get that form ahead of time, you can start doing research. Okay, this is their goal. This is what they want to feel, look, sound like. And then you can talk to them in that way, kind of reiterating what they're saying. And you're also giving them clarity of what they do want. And then it it just Mm -hmm. bring in a stronger connection within your client and with your um, employee. Customer, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, nice. So I think this, because NLP obviously goes deeper. I get that. But this is actually kind of immediately applicable today, in my opinion. And I don't think anyone could listen to this and not get something from this. Like, use common sense, basically. Now, now that you know that there's a structure here, use the common sense to figure out, okay, are they working more with the visual side, the auditory side, or the kinesthetic side? And then in terms of getting them compliant to the protocol to assure that they get the best results, this is where we're using this in a completely ethical way. We're actually trying to boost the efficacy of the protocol that we gave to them. They already paid for it, so it's not like we're trying to get money or something. But yeah, you can actually use that to say... Um, or to keep them on track and just use that common sense, right? How is this person learning? And then constantly reminding them, Ev, j- just imagine how good you're going to look when this happens. Ev, oh man, you're going to look great when this happens, right? And you're not even thinking twice about that. It is so subconscious. Like as the person, if my coach was saying that every session, I'd be like, okay, like, yeah, cool. Thank you for the reminder again. But that might sink a lot deeper. And then I guess it's hard to sometimes measure the results that you have with someone by actually doing this versus not doing this. But I, I certainly don't see how it could hurt. I think this could actually help a lot. And it could help with sales calls too. If if you know that the person's a good fit, but they're having some hesitancy, reframing how you're, you're pitching to them or, or trying to close the sales call, you could... I mean, yeah, I'm not that advanced with this yet, but you could use the uh, respective visual, auditory, or kinesthetic to actually sell that thing if you knew that it was going to help them. So I think this can be immediately used by our Oh, people. yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing is the emotional quotient or... The emotion, emotional intelligence, and it's just being able mm-hmm. to connect with that person. It's kind of like putting yourself in their shoes. Like, what is it that they're seeking? What is it that they're trying to strive for? And how can you best help them? And going back to the previous conversation of the manipulation, it's not manipulation. You're supporting them in their goal in the best way that you know how, how by changing your language pattern and being able to, it also shows your character and that. Um, your heart is really there to serve them because you are trying to learn them. And I think most people, they want to feel relatable. <laughs> they want to feel seen. They want to be understood. And if you can understand and see your client for them as a person versus their symptom or disease, so to say, um, they're going to feel more inspired and knowing that they're not alone and that they can do this. They are motivated and they have that support that they need. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, with our last like 11, 12 minutes here, uh, what I want to talk about obviously is, you know, your offerings for practitioners and then how you can actually help them with this. So uh, obviously the work that you do is, is more personal. It's not like you're coaching per se, from my understanding, a practitioner and using these techniques with their clients, although I'm sure that can be done indirectly. But who is someone that you are passionate about helping? Because I, I'm, I'm going to I don't want to answer that for you, but I think this would make sense and it's worth mentioning. A lot of our practitioners, we have a subset of them, 
that they know all the information. They know just as much stuff as all the practitioners out here that are killing it with our system, making six figures, helping tons of people. And yet they've barely taken two clients and they take the clients and it doesn't work out. And I know it's because of what's going on up here. And for those listening on audio only, I'm pointing to the head. It's something that's going on in the brain, in the mind, whatever you want to refer to that as. Can you help them? Can this work help them get over those limiting beliefs to maybe take the clients on and charge them accordingly when they literally have the same system that all these other successful practitioners have? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great way to identify it is like we do have a system. There is a system. And how come the system works for some people and why the system doesn't work for some people? And I think that really comes down to those emotions that you have, the limited beliefs. And if you think about the subconscious mind, the subconscious mind is to protect us and it's the, it picks up on, it filters, deletes and generalizes so much of the bits of information that we are receiving right now, um, based on our trauma or our experiences. So the ages from zero to seven is when our minds are sponges and we're picking up on the programs and the beliefs. And so one of the biggest ones, um, that a lot of people say is like, oh, you have to work hard for your money or money doesn't grow on trees. And people have like this idea, I, negative idea about what money is or um, only rich people are or like all rich people are bad and realizing like, okay, right. where are these beliefs coming from and how is this affecting me and my work? And maybe those aren't the best examples for this particular conversation. I think it's the ability to communicate and some people not feeling understood or not feeling connected with themselves or having that confidence with themselves and what their abilities are and where did that stem from and how is this holding you back from connecting with a client? Because if you can't connect with other, you can only connect with people to the depth that you connect with yourself. And if you don't have that connection with yourself or you're overwhelmed and if we're thinking on an energetic term, uh, your energy is essentially like relating it to money, right? It's like, where are you spending your energy? Where are you putting it? And if you're all clustered and spread apart, then you're not harnessing yourself and you're not being magnetic yourself. And it's going back to that intuition. Like people can feel you. People can under like, that's just the way that our subconscious mind and our bodies work. It's an energetic exchange. And if you are struggling to harness your energy, then that person is going to feel that and it's going to actually create that resistance. So it's also like that need, oh my God, I need a client. I need to do this. It's the state of lack versus how can I serve this person? How can I support this person the best way possible and put in them first versus you? I, I totally agree with this because I've seen this phenomenon that connects totally with what you're saying right now. It's like the longer you would think the longer that someone is trying to get clients or make money doing this, the better they would get somehow. You think you'd be learning something. And yet not all the times, but some of the times I have found the opposite is true, that it's like the same people two, three, four years later are still struggling to get clients. And I feel like it connects to what you're saying, where now they're actually deepening this belief that they're desperate for the client. And they're just conveying that energy in every call and every interaction. It's one of the reasons that I've always recommended that it depends on the person, but more often than not, I recommend that the people stay in their current job before taking a full plunge into FDN. Like actually make, I I don't want to overwork anyone, but make it to the point where it's like, 
you're doing so well at FDN that it's impractical to keep your full-time job because then you have that that confidence in the back of your head. Like, oh, my bills get paid regardless of whether or not I get this client. And it's also more ethical for the client because you're focusing now solely on people that you can serve and you want to work with versus who you think could give you a paycheck. And I don't think anyone would do that so blatantly or maliciously, but you might be doing that subconsciously. You're like, all right, well, I can get this person to pay. I really need the money right now. And you're selling someone that shouldn't have been sold. And that's not your ideal client anyway. Maybe you don't even want to work. Yeah, (laughs) no, no. And I think that's a huge concept is like, there comes to a point where you are desperate and you do need that. And when you keep going on that cycle of like, oh my God, I haven't closed a client, that's going in your subconscious mind and our negative emotions or those negative um, I don't like calling them negative, but those harsher emotions overpower the other um, grateful gratitude um, nuances. So instead, it's where attention flows where energy goes, or energy flows where attention goes. So if you're focusing on the bad, and that's just our natural human instinct, the subconscious mind to protect ourselves for survival, it's being able to, okay. Um, where can I shift my energy again to put that perspective? How can I help this person the most? And there's another concept that I wanted to touch upon. I don't know why my mind is uh, sparing with these ideas, but yeah, I might be able to hopefully spark it here. And, and if it comes up, let me know. But because our, again, a lot of our practitioners have this kind of core issue of, you know, <laughs> they're they're stuck in this thing where and again we have so many practitioners making great livings with the system that you know it's not the system it's almost like a college degree because let's take philosophy versus chemistry and i'm going somewhere with this philosophy there are people that have made a lot of money in that area there are famous philosophers but obviously it is less applicable than chemistry and so there are less people making philosophy than as chemists so what my my point is it is fair to say that there are systems that are better than not there are health coaching programs in our world or realm of health coaching that we're in that are not great. And, you know, it's like two or 3% of the practitioners actually make any money with this. And you know what? They probably would have made money in any damn thing that they did, whether it was real estate, Wall Street, lawyer, whatever, because they got it up here in the mind. And yet our system, I feel like, is the equivalent of the chemistry thing here because we can take someone who's not that confident, who's not that personable, and they can still make a living doing this. Um, And so it's a better system. So we know that that's solid. But then, again, there's some people that just never get it together while others are getting like 100 clients a year. I mean, it's one thing if we're talking like the good people get three and the bad people get none. You're talking about 100 plus client differences on any given year. To me, that has to be consciousness. That Mm -hmm. has to be mindset at that point. Yeah. Uh, so I, I remember what I was going to say, and thank you for spreading that, is the systems and realizing that, yes, we have a system, but just because the system works for one person doesn't mean that that exact system is going to work for another person. I think it mm-hmm. is a foundation and it's something that you can um, revert to, but it's also put in your spin to it, put in your touch, like, okay, what feels good for me to do what is going to like do you face resistance to this system and where do you feel that resistance to because that resistance Hmm. is either an opportunity for growth to overcome maybe it's a fear or it's just saying like there's another way to do it and it's being curious okay how else can i do this and what's going to work best for me um okay i think a lot of our practitioners might be stuck then because the other pattern i noticed with these people is their health might be 80% better, but it's not like 100%. And I wonder if there's not a limiting belief there that, 
Okay, FDN only got me to 80%, with, which uh, most people would kill for, by the way, guys, if they had chronic health issues. But you're somehow invalidating yourself subconsciously thinking that, oh, since I didn't get to 100% and I'm not perfect, I can't go and help other people. I think that is, oh, talking about synchronicities, that is a huge um, concept that has been coming up. It's understanding that you have already arrived, that you are whole. And if you're focusing on, I'm not healthy yet, or I'm not this perfect, like first define what is perfect for you. How do you know that you are operating at 100%? It's being able to identify that because then that's when you can fill those holes. But realizing that like you are already doing the work. And I think a lot of honestly, honestly comes down to health and emotions. Ener- emotions are energy and motion. And we, it, it all merges together. It's all entangled. You can't have one without the other. You can't have perfect health without having um, confident thoughts or um, harnessing your emotions because you can be the healthiest person going on runs, eating the best foods, but how are your emotions? Are you reacting versus mm-hmm. responding? And so it's being able to see like, how do you even operate in society? How, how do you contribute to society? And I think that's also a big question. And um, going back to like, how can you serve in the best way possible? How can you operate in your best way, not just physically and, and in health, but also to an energetic stance of your environment and those around you? Awesome. Yeah, that definitely, um, that makes sense. I feel like this all connects kind of perfectly. And so with that said, we actually kind of timed this very unintentionally well. Where can people find you? Is it still just Instagram? Do you have a website that they can go to? What do you prefer? Yes. So I am actually currently working on a project with another friend, um, which I will send you the website if you're open to that. I think it's Beans Become. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. And one like 98% sure it's beans become. Um, if not, you can just direct them to my Instagram link and we can connect from there. Perfect. I will have that in the show notes. And yeah, this stuff worked for me. The last part, especially that you said about you can be eating all the right foods, doing this kind of stuff. But if that emotional thing is not a hundred percent addressed, or at least mostly addressed, that can be a hindrance. And that's, it's not that I even didn't want to accept it. I, I thought, yeah, that makes sense. But I didn't realize how deep it can go. And I think for a lot of us, that might be the case. So if you intuitively feel that might be the best way to operate this one, if you intuitively feel like there's something here, I would definitely reach out to Gabriella. And don't forget to try these things with your clients, the VAK, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. But thanks for coming on and sharing completely different knowledge with us today, teaching us about the dangers of the fluoride last time <laughs> and now how to work with clients this time. Yeah, I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Evan.